Yeah, I hope I'm. In fashion, my house is my house is super chaotic, um, and that's just the norm. That's how we roll over here in the Swenson household with four kids on summer break. So. I have a presentation for you about stepping into the role of advocacy and how that can be really challenging for a parent when their child's first diagnosed. I remember actually thinking in the beginning, like, I mean, I didn't even know there was an autism awareness month. I didn't know that there was autism awareness organizations. I was that new to autism. So um, when I found out that April was the month, I was like, oh, should I be doing something? Because I, I truly had no idea. I just wanted to help Cooper. I just wanted to get us the services and supports that he needed. And that, that was, you know, blend in, um, lead a quiet life, which um, if anyone follows us now, Cooper's 11 and we don't blend in. We are loud and proud and that is the best place for us. But it can be confusing in the beginning. It's like, you know, where do I fall in this advocacy journey? It also, you know, there's another thing. It's, you know, what is the parent's role? Can we speak for our children? Can we help them get them the services and supports they need? I'm gonna assume most parents say yes, because we do that for all of our children, right? But there are some angsty parts of that in the community. It's like, where does our role start and stop? So I have navigated that for 11 years now, and I feel sometimes I've done it gracefully, sometimes I've done it like a buffalo crashing into a river, and um, lived and learned. And I think that we're in a really good spot right now. So I have a presentation for you with some videos. I'm actually going to start by reading a little bit from my book. And this is the very end, if you can see. This is, if you haven't read my book yet, this is all kind of our journey. And then this is the lessons I would give to parents or myself if I could go back in time. So I'm going to read just a couple pages for you about advocacy and why I think it's so important. A few years after Cooper was diagnosed, I went to my local grocery store, rushed after a long day of work and anxious to pay for my groceries and get home to my boys. As I stood in the checkout line, I noticed a group of folks in bright orange shirts bagging groceries. I knew instantly that they were like my Cooper. I heard the sounds and I saw the mannerisms. I was no longer blind to this secret world because I now lived in it. I watched the young gentleman at the end of my line intently. He picked up each food item slowly lifted it up to his eye view, studied it, and eventually placed it into the bag. He was doing a wonderful job, but he also wouldn't have won any awards for speed. I broke out in the biggest smile as I watched him clap for himself. If my hands weren't full, I would have clapped for him too. Suddenly, I had flashes of Cooper working or volunteering at a grocery store just like this one, and I wished I could talk to this young gentleman's mom and tell her how proud I was of him. I was rudely pulled out of my daydream by a man behind me. He was muttering under his breath, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was quiet. Hurry up, he said. I don't have all this time. I don't have time for all these retards. I immediately spun around to face the man. Thankfully, others in line were appalled too. Before I could speak, another woman beat me to it. I've never seen a face turn quite so red before as he took his verbal tongue lashing. I turned back quickly to make sure the young man didn't hear. He was whistling away, packing up groceries oblivious to the hate that was just spewed his way. In that moment, right then and there, I vowed to change the world for my son. I felt the flame inside of me burn brighter. I had been blogging for years at this point with some success, but it was time for more. I didn't necessarily know how. I didn't have some grand plan. I just knew I had to make the world a better place for him. Because someday, he would be out in the community just like this young man. 
And I needed people to understand, to open their eyes to differences, and ultimately to be kind. I soon started public speaking on behalf of those with disabilities and their families. I visited the state capitol building in St. Paul and spoke with our governor and senator. I made phone calls and wrote letters. I joined other groups advocating as well. I started conversations about autism whenever I could. And I shared Cooper. I shared his wins and his struggles. I shared his sounds, his hoarding, his joy, his anxiety. I did everything I could to normalize his differences in hopes that I would reach that awful man from the grocery store and every person like him. For years, I didn't know if it was working until I received an email from a woman in her 70s who lived in, southern, in the southern half of the country. She told me she knew nothing of autism before discovering Finding Cooper's Voice. She was fascinated and touched by my stories, the highs and the lows. But she admitted she was confused as to why Cooper acted the way he did sometimes. One day, she saw a grown man at her local grocery store. He was covering his ears and flapping. He never spoke a word, but he also never stopped making a sound. She stated she knew he was like my son and felt a protectiveness for him. A few of the women in front of her started criticizing him, not so subtly, for being loud and ultimately for being different. She told me she let them have it. She laid right into them. As I read her words, I knew I was doing the right thing. I have never been so proud to receive an email before. We had touched a person who knew nothing of autism and brought kindness to their heart for people with differences. That had been my goal all along. If I can educate one unknowing person, remove the stigma of the diagnosis, or lessen the fear that a parent feels when they hear the words, your child has autism, then I am doing the right thing. So that's a pretty powerful story. Um, both stories, you know, to be see see a, a young man volunteering and being criticized just for just for doing his best, um, and then to find out that Cooper's story touched a woman millions of miles away from here who knows nothing of autism. I mean, that's that's why I do what I do. Okay, I'm gonna share my screen here. Dee, 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 dee. Okay, so this presentation is called Stepping into the Role of Advocacy. Um, at a high level, I'm, um, I'm just your normal person. I'm a wife. I've been married for what feels like a million years. I think it's 14. Don't tell my husband. He knows our anniversary better than I do. I'm a mother to four kids. You can see them at the bottom there. These are really recent photos. Winnie is one. Harbor is three. Sawyer is nine and Cooper is 11. He is my kiddo on the spectrum. I'm a published author. I'm a blogger. I always laugh at the word influencer, but that um, that is essentially what I do. I own my own business. I founded a nonprofit and then I try to advocate throughout every single thing that I do. So what is advocacy? Advocacy is the act of supporting a cause to produce a desired change. We advocate because we feel strongly about a particular issue. Synonyms are champion, upholder, supporter, backer, promoter, protector, which I think are all pretty great words. I wanted to throw them in there. I was a reluctant advocate. I, um, you know, I heard that word autism. I immediately wanted to blend in. I, I was not a public speaker. I was not someone living in the social world. I was, I don't even think I really had a Facebook page actually. I just wanted 
to live this simple life up north with my husband and our son, our first baby. I wanted to boat and fish and hike. That was it. Um, when Cooper was diagnosed, I very quickly realized that autism was bigger than just him. It was bigger than just our family. It touched every single thing that we did. Um, I really wanted to find others just like our family. That was my first thing. It's like we felt like we had the only child diagnosed with this nonverbal severe autism. How do we find the other people? We couldn't find them. But I couldn't even say the word autism out loud. And um, I talk about this in other presentations I do. Are you there yet? Can you say the word out loud? And it took me a while. I can admit that. I, it, it wasn't that I was embarrassed. It wasn't that I was angry. It was that I was confused and I didn't know how to say what autism is. I didn't know how, um, how to form the words without crying yet. I wasn't there. And that's a hard part in the beginning for parents. How do you advocate for something you don't even necessarily know how to explain yet? I found this quote by John Lennon, when you're drowning, you don't think, I would be incredibly pleased if someone would notice I'm drowning and come rescue me. You just scream. I was drowning. And, and, and why? Why was I drowning? Um, Cooper was a runner. He didn't sleep at all. He ate five foods. Um, he was kicked out of every daycare that we tried to go to. No preschool would take him. I had to work full time. He started hitting. He started, you know, all these beginning things I'm sure so many of you can relate to. You know, we couldn't just pop into daycare. We couldn't just go to mommy and me class. Um, grocery stores, convenience stores, all these things, this, these parts of our world just slowly closed. I was screaming. I wasn't necessarily screaming the right things either. And um, so how do you turn around and help others? I think it's so important um, to think about autism because this really helped me to think about, um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be autism, it could be your child's disability, but think about it in three different ways because these are three very unique um, challenges that you may have that you have to tackle. So in the beginning, you are inundated with the business side. You have phone calls, questionnaires, referrals, nonstop paperwork, evaluations, schedules. Cooper was in multiple therapies. Um, he was in a program without a bus. Um, I was always talking about his birth and you know, I, I, entering in his social security number and his insurance number and all this stuff memorized. I remember fighting for doctors to see him for um, not to wait nine months for a referral, all this business side, this is all consuming, right? Then there's the emotional side. This is the part that I, I still feel a little bit now, even at age 11, we have the business side figured out over here. The emotional side is the worry, the big feelings, the grief, the guilt, the anger, the sadness, all of that very real. Uh, my child may never talk. Um, what's going to happen after I die? What if he never develops a relationship with his sibling? Think of these emotional sides. They're very real. And, 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 and this, this can kind of creep into everything that you're doing. It can, I have moms and dads reach out to me every day saying they can't get over this emotional mountain. How do they do it? So you may take control of the business side, but you may still have this. Then there's the day to day. Um, this is what really got us for a lot of years. Um, Cooper, you know, developed a lot of aggression. 
a lot of self-injuring. We were really isolated. He didn't sleep. He had um, really tough meltdowns, really tough behaviors, a um, lot of stims. So this is the stuff that's, you know, really wearing a mom or a dad or a grandparent down to just nothing. And, you know, we all have very full lives. Many of us have jobs. We have um, other children. We have roles as children ourselves, as spouses, as, you know, things that take up our time. And a lot of this day-to-day -day stuff can be really hard when you mix it in with your emotions and the business. So again, you know, how do we help others when we're drowning ourselves? It's important to know that I wasn't advocating from the day that Cooper was born. I was, again, you know, working to find those supports and services, which is what you should be doing too. It's, you know, life got significantly easier for Cooper when we found the right therapies and the right school and the right teacher and the people who loved him and supported him. Our family felt the same way too when we joined Miracle League and found horseback riding. This stuff took 11 years. So please know in the beginning, it takes a long time. Finding my voice as a mother um, wasn't easy. So I very much believed that doctors are the truth tellers. They know all that the professionals, that the people diagnosing, that the therapists, I mean, and 95% of these um, professionals have your best interests at heart, but sometimes you're going to hear some stuff that's a little wacky, that doesn't feel right. I struggled. I was very scared to speak out and speak up. It just wasn't my um, in my comfort zone. And I'm sure many of you can remember the first time that you were pushed to advocacy. Mine happened at a doctor's office. I knew my son was struggling with constipation. I knew it was bad, bad, because I had been there with him working through these hard moments. I brought him into the doctor and I demanded a stomach x-ray and the doctor said no. And I said, well, I'm not leaving until it happens. And he stared at me and I stared at him and that went on for quite some time. And he told me all the reasons why he wouldn't do an x-ray of my son's stomach, but I knew it. I was trusting my gut. When he left that room, I burst into tears. I was shaking. I was sweating. I was crying. It was so out of my norm to stand up for myself and my son like that. I ended up being right, which the vindication wasn't all that sweet because my stomach or my son did have a blockage in his stomach. So, um, but it, it lit a fire in me to be braver when it came to Cooper's healthcare or his education. I knew him best. We had another thing happen very early on. Cooper was diagnosed as being deaf. I knew in my gut that he was not deaf, but and this is a big part of my book, if you read it, my husband believed that he was. The grandparents believed that he was. It took me taking Cooper to a, um, a doctor, an audiologist in secret to have him tested, and he was not deaf. But it was so hard or expensive or time-consuming or challenging to go against the norm to try and figure some of this complicated stuff out with our kids. And the thing is, you are advocating. You probably already are advocating and you don't know it. For example, I was told that um, I was just a first time mom. I was told that my son was a late bloomer, a late talker. He was just a boy. I had to push to get that diagnosis. 
I had to make appointments. I had to go against the grain. I'm sure many of you have done that. In-home services, there were things that just didn't work. And I remember saying, this doesn't feel right. I'm sure you've done that or different types of services. Again, the medical experiences, I'm sure you've said things like, see my child, listen here. Um, we started advocating really early without knowing it with Cooper's IEP. And back then it was a, um, a family plan because he was under the age of three. But, um, you know, you're advocating right away in the very beginning. You just don't know it. And you, you may, your voice may shake. And it may not be as strong as you want it to be, but it'll get stronger. In the community, I'm sure you've seen things that don't that don't seem right. I remember calling and being like, just different places, like, do you have a sensory hour? Or do you have a Caroline's cart? Or different things that you see that could help your help your child? You're probably doing that. And then another big one that we actually don't think of as advocacy, but is, is within your own family. A lot of times, um, grandma or grandpa or uncle or auntie don't think it's autism. They think it's naughtiness or they think it's something else. And you, you as the mom or you as the dad are explaining and teaching and helping to educate. So you're probably doing some advocating. This is called informal advocating. You just don't know it yet. The first thing that I did, so I started writing. I started a blog, It was it's called Finding Cooper's Voice, um, and I literally just wrote. And, and my writing was really raw, it was read by two or three people, one was probably my mom. But it was a really good way for me to start sharing some of my big feelings that I wanted to get out. Um, in the beginning, I, I attended an in-person support group, and this was actually a story in my book that got cut out. <laughs> um, I think it was too controversial, but I attended an um, in-person support group, and it took a really um, icky turn um, to a debate about vaccines, and it made me really uncomfortable, and I didn't go back. So sometimes you'll do things um, to start getting out there, and it might not be the right fit. That wasn't the right fit for me. Keep trying. We attended an autism walk. I'm sure you have these. Cooper was like five. I'm sure you have these in your community. In Minnesota, they're around this lake called Lake Calhoun. And we attended it. It was one of the worst experiences of our life. I remember thinking when it was over, this was not made for children like Cooper on the severe end of the spectrum. This is not made for children that can't walk or won't ride in a wagon or can't be carried. And it was a really hard experience. And in the beginning, we felt really excluded from the autism community because stuff like that wouldn't work. I tried joining the PTA. Oh goodness, I went to a PTA meeting and um, I wasn't in the right spot. We were in special education. There was no discussion of special, ed special education there, and I felt really bad. Now, if I was to go back, I would probably push for that special education voice, but back then, remember, I was new. I didn't have it quite yet, and I felt really sad, and I felt like the school wasn't made for us back then. I did successfully coordinate some sensory-friendly events at my job. I worked for PBS, and they had kids' events. They were called Second Saturdays, and they were very fun, but Cooper couldn't do it. Too loud, too bright, too people-y, too much waiting. So I worked with them to do a sensory hour. That's something that you can do as well. Maybe you already have. Um, I was just doing little things, as you can tell. I didn't even have a Facebook page yet. 
But once I started feeling injustices towards my son and people with disabilities, that's when I decided that I had to do more. I didn't know what, but I had to do more. I was seeing things. I was seeing um, that it felt like, um, you know, it felt like we were forgotten. It felt like we didn't fit in anywhere. And and I, I just wanted to carve out this niche for families like ours. And that's where advocacy comes from. It comes from your belly. It comes from anger and passion and desire to make change and do better. And I'm sure some of you are feeling that. Something will come up that will really just spark it alive in you. So I did end up doing a Facebook page pretty early on. And um, I share this because social media can be this beautiful thing and it can be a way for you to reach people like you. Start sharing if you feel comfortable. You don't have to share photos. You can share photos, but just share on your own page. So when I figured out there was an Autism Awareness Month, Cooper was five or six, I did like 20 days of autism and I it was on my personal page. I shared photos of Cooper lining things up and, um, you know, stripping beds. And I remember I had countless friends and family message me and say, we had no idea. We didn't know this was autism. We didn't know this was Cooper. We didn't know that this was your life. And they were so thankful for education. And that's what it's important for us to remember. People only know what they know. They want to know about our lives. They want to, to do better. So if you can share with Aunt So-and-so and, you know, Grandpa Joe, that is wonderful. You are making change. I'm actually going to share just a little snippet of a video here. I have a couple videos, but this was the first time that I went viral. You can see this is a video from 2017. I brought Cooper to a special needs playground called Madison's Place Playground in Woodbury, Minnesota. We were right at the cusp of me not being able to bring him places alone. And that still kind of holds true today. Cooper's a, a you know a big kid. He's fast. He's a runner. And he needs two to one sometimes. But back then, I could still do it. And my husband and my other son were in Arizona. So I took Cooper out for cupcakes and we went to this park. The thing with inclusive playgrounds is they are full of kids because they're the best playgrounds ever. I'm sure if you've been to one, you know that. Well, there isn't sometimes a lot of room for the kids with disabilities. But we tried. Cooper saw the park. His eyes lit up. And um, we had an incident. And I'm just going to share just a really short clip of this because I filmed this and it ended up going viral. And it was my first um, experience with what that can feel like. So I've been crying for the last half an hour, trying to pull it together. Um, this is the first time that Cooper and I have been made to feel like we were not truly welcome somewhere. And I'd like to tell the story because it's got to change. Or people like me, I will never be able to leave my home. Um, in Woodbury, Minnesota, there is a fantastic park called Madison's Place Playground. 
Um, it was built for special needs children. It was built by a family that had a little girl with special needs. The park is fantastic. It is Cooper's favorite place. It is one of the only places that we go. Cooper is six. He is nonverbal. He has severe autism. He has a disability. It affects his neurologically, that neurological thinking. It affects him cognitively, socially, behaviorally, everything. Can you say hi? <laughs> what do you say? Looks just like a normal kid, right? Just looks just like any other kid. He is. He's just a kid. Cooper loves the way things sound. He loves to push things. He loves to drop things. He likes to hear it. He likes to be really silly. He does not know how to play. That's the way he interacts. He was on. So I just wanted to share just a little bit of that video and I'll tell you more about it. So he ended up pushing um, a little girl with his feet. He was on top of like the slide on the platform and he bumped a girl and she went down the slide on her butt. She was fine. Um, still not appropriate. I mean, it was, it was an accident. It shouldn't have happened, but the dad of this little girl just laid into Cooper and Cooper had no idea. Like he just had no idea he did anything wrong. He giggled and ran off and the guy just berated me and my son and said he shouldn't be there. And I came home and I was like, you know, this is the things that we need to talk about. And I look back on those videos and they're very cringy for me because it was a long time ago. But I think that was really my start because no one would ever think that Cooper wouldn't be welcome at a park. They had no idea. My friends and family had no idea. And that video really made a big, a big splash. And I'm so glad we did it. I'll tell you, we still haven't been back to that park. I still, I still have just really bad PTSD over it because it was the first time that we felt like we weren't welcome somewhere. And it's happened a handful of times since then, but it was, it was really eye-opening for me. I'm going to share one more video with you. So this one um, was when I first started speaking out about Medicaid. So if you remember years ago, um, Medicaid, uh, it was on the chopping block. There's a lot of changes that were going to be made and Cooper, all of his services are funded through Medicaid in the state of Minnesota. And, um, I spoke out about it and did a bunch of news stories and received a lot of backlash. Oh my goodness. It really launched me into the world of advocacy that I wasn't quite ready for yet. Um, I will share this one too with you. Fun to see the video, see how young I used to be. I think this is it. This oh, this might be an ad. She was in a lot of pain, um, and nobody would do the surgery. Sorry, I don't know. Maybe I can't share it. I don't know. To, I can't share it. To getting to do it. Let me try it. To do it for a wonderful client and a wonderful kitty cat. And um, during COVID.
Mm, I guess it's not going to work. Well, I ended up speaking out. So I went to the Capitol and I spoke out about Medicaid and different services and how we needed that. And, it, you know, it launched me into this world of advocacy that I wasn't really prepared for. I didn't know, um, you know, I didn't know that there was anger. I didn't know that there was hate. I didn't know that I could, you know, what I could say could make people angry. It was a really scary time for me in the beginning. I just wanted to help my son. So an advocate is a person who argues for, for or recommends or supports a cause or policy. It's about helping people find their voice. And there's three types of advocacy. There's self-advocacy, individual advocacy, and systems advocacy. So this is one that I think is really, um, you know, really important to talk about. Cooper is his own person. He is 11 years old. He has a diagnosis of severe nonverbal autism, level three. I want my son to be able to advocate for himself. I want him to have a seat at the table, right? I don't know if he'll ever be able to. I don't know. A lot of us look at our children and we don't know. But I look at my nine-year-old and my three-year-old and you know, I advocate for them in different ways too. But I am always pushing Cooper to speak for himself. And that's something that we need to do as parents. So, you know, we use a speech device. I really encourage Cooper to speak about his emotions, what he's feeling, what he wants and what he needs. That's the goal. There is a lot of room in the internet. There's a lot of room in the world for self-advocates. There's a lot of room for parent advocates, teacher advocates, medical advocates. I think we can all come together to do better for individuals with disabilities. And it's important to recognize that each of us play a different role and that we can kind of, you know, all ebb and flow together for the same desired outcome. This is what a lot of us do, um, individual advocacy. So we're standing beside our children because we see that they are either being treated unfairly or badly, and we wanna make a difference. There's a few different kinds of individual advocates. There's informal and formal. So informal is like, you know, writing a blog or different things like that. But there is formal advocacy and that's, you know, that's a bigger thing. That's kind of like speaking when I spoke for Medicaid or going to the Capitol and that stuff can take time. You may have to wait until your children are older. You may have to wait until a cause really, you know, really inspires you. I know a lot of parents that speak out for medical cannabis or different medications, but that takes time for you to figure out where your footing is. One thing to know is, and I tell this to everyone that comes to me for blogging advice, you can't advocate for everything. What is important to you as a parent? Where do you want to do the most work? And um, people come to me every time something big in the news happens around autism, or they'll come to me about vaccines or therapies or different things. I had to figure out pretty early on, where is my voice going to you know, do the most good? Because if I speak on everything, I'm going to lose a bit of my um, credibility. So you need to pick as a parent what that is. Um, systems advocacy is, is 
you know, um, changing laws, policies, rules, you may have the chance to do this at some time in your life. You may um, get to speak out and do this and, you know, visit the Capitol and testify and do different things. Be open to that. Be open to changing laws and changing the world for your children. There are people that do this for a job. There are people that do this full time. Not me. Um, this is a really important thing. So a lot of people will come to me and they'll be like, I can't make a change. I'm just one person. This change or this change won't affect my child. So I learned pretty early on that a lot of the things that I advocate for may not even affect Cooper. Think about safe transportation for people with disabilities. Think about safe housing. Um, different things like that. Um, when Cooper was in just an ABA and not special education, I still had a big passion for special education, but I didn't know if it would ever affect him. That's okay. That's okay because when you advocate for one child, you're making a really big difference. One of the first things that I learned this around was a fence. So we lived in um, a very small house and we had a very small yard, but we had to have a fence. And Cooper would run to the road, he would run to the lake. It was just unsafe. The county offered us a small chain link fence. And I said, there's no point in even doing it. He'll scale it, he'll be over it in five seconds. So I fought for a wood fence, a six foot wood fence. And I fought. I remember someone saying to me underneath the table, if they give you this fence, they have to give it to everybody. And I said, well, what if it helps their children too? They didn't want to pay for it. I won and I got it and I changed the precedent. Another thing I fought for was a um, wheelchair type stroller for Cooper. I fought Medicaid. I lost. I actually had to go through a hearing. I had to go, I had to testify. There were witnesses. I was told by a lawyer that a wheelchair for Cooper meant negligent parenting, that I would put him in a wheelchair and put him in a corner. They didn't understand that Cooper would run, that he would sit down on the road, that he would refuse to move, that he would dive into traffic. I lost. They said to me after that if they would have given that to me, they would have had to give one to everybody. So you're going to come against these fights. I gave up on the wheelchair. I gave up. I didn't have the energy to do it, but someone else may, someone else may pick up the torch and fight after me. So remember that you might not carry it all the way home, but you'll start. It is so important to tell our stories. Um, I don't share our story for sympathy. I think some people think that like I'll get, I had a comment the other day that was like, you're such a narcissist. It's me, 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 me. And I laughed and I was like, I can't remember the last time I told a story about myself. <laughs> Uh, Cooper, I just try to share his joys and his goals and his strengths and educate. It's not for attention, truly. It's not for a pat on the back. It's not for ad revenue. It's not for free boxes from HelloFresh. I share autism because I want the world to know him. I want Cooper to have a place to be after I'm gone. I want to make it easier for him and his siblings and the children that are going to come after. 
That's why we tell our stories. I want to talk about this table one more time because I just think it's so important. There's a proverbial table, right? When we think about it, we want our children to have a seat at it. And at that table is a doctor and a therapist and a teacher and a self-advocate, maybe all different people. I want my son to be able to be in the room, sit under the table, sit on the table. I don't care where he is, but I want him to have a voice there. And if that voice needs to be me right now, I'm going to do that. And you can do that too. Keep your child's best interests at heart and fight for them. One of the misconceptions about advocacy is that to make change and do good, you have to do huge things. That's not true. You don't have to do huge things. You can do little things. You can do something at your child's school. You can go in and read a book about autism to the gen ed classes. You can put in a, um, a PEX board at your local park. You can do little things. Little things add up to big things. I know it's overwhelming diving into it, but find something. Find something that you're passionate about and dive in. There's so many little things. Um, reach out to people in your community. Invite people into your home. Share your life. Do a post on Facebook. Teach people at your work about your child. Tell your story. Really, this is how we get started. Just these simple ways. I want to tell you three specific things you can do. So if you want to take a picture of this or just take a mental note. It is a federal and state law that all school districts that provide special education have a parent advisory council or called special education advisory council seek the district, not the school. This is a federal law. Your school, your district has to have one. This is the equivalent of the PTA for special education families. I've been in multiple districts and I've called and they may be like, oh, we haven't had a meeting in a long time. No one to run it or this or this or this. Call the school, search the website, push a little, a gentle push never hurt anybody. Get your seek going. Invite the special education families. Ours here has speakers come in. It has um, different presentations. And the school, by law, has to host it. I think, don't quote me, but I think it has to be four times a year. It might be less. But do this. This is how you meet other families just like yours. I actually went to our SEEK even when Cooper was an ABA. I wanted to know the families. This is a really simple thing that you can do. Another one is partners in policymaking. So I, I want you to search partners in policymaking and your state. Hop onto Google when we're done, Partners in Policymaking Minnesota, Partners in Policymaking Georgia. Not every state has it, but I think like 30, 30 or 35 states do. It's one of the best things I ever did. It is a leadership skills program, and it's a year long, and you go a few times a year, you spend a day, you learn. It is one of the best things I've ever done. It helped me learn how to advocate at the state level, the federal level, different things. It's wonderful. It may be virtual. It may be online. It, it doesn't cost anything, but it'll really help you. Let me see if this video will play.
We are an example of a family that could not live, Cooper would not have his best life without Medicaid. Um, I work full time, my husband works full time, we have benefits through health partners. Before I had a child with a disability, I just thought you everything was covered by your health insurance. You get sick, you go to the doctor, it's paid for, you pay your premiums. I mean, that's what I truly believed. I didn't know anything about Medicaid or who received it. Not only is Medicaid this lifeline, it's the only thing that will give him what he needs right now. And so that was, um, they had us practice advocating for things um, on video and, and getting our words out and saying it. So this is a really great course. Please Google it, Partners in Policymaking in your state. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, start an in-person support group. This is actually a lot easier than you think it is because you can just grab a, you know, two, three, four, five of your friends. You can share something at your kid's school. Many local venues like libraries and grocery stores are, have free meeting spaces. Find attendees on social media, your child's school, invite a speaker to start the, to speak at the meeting, allow time for discussion. My next goal is to have an in-person support group. I have an online one, but I think there's nothing quite like getting together with families like yours. Super important and very easy. Share your story. So these are a few of my favorite pages. The one, Carrie Cariello, is a blog. The middle one's a Facebook page, Silas's Saga. Peace, Love, and Autism is an Instagram page. These are mamas that just share their stories super easy to do. Anyone can do this. If you have one follower or two or 10, it doesn't matter. You will make a difference because you're starting to share. Formal advocacy, like I said, is a little bit more harder to get into, but you know, like where I live, the district that I'm in, there's some big referendums happening for special education right now and voting and things that are going on. Budget cuts are coming through. Do you know that for your child's school? Do you know what's coming down the pipeline? You know, start, put your toe out there. Start learning. Start putting your ear out and learning. Um, you might be surprised. A little, you know, I did start this online support group. So if you're looking for one and you're not a member, come join. It's on Facebook. We Zoom, you know, we chat. This is a great way to put feelers out there and get to know other families. We actually just learned that we have 30 or so members whose children have rare diseases that we had no idea and we connected them on this post. Awesome things like this can happen. Put yourself out there. And I wanted to share, um, I have an upcoming women's respite retreat. So if you are local to the Midwest, um, this is a great way to meet other moms. I have 100 or so moms coming to Moon Beach to connect, relax, take time for themselves. If you want more information about that, message me. I would love to have you attend. And if you haven't grabbed a copy of my book, please do. Share it with somebody. Share it with your, your child's teacher or someone in your life that can make a big difference. And I have homework for you. Start a conversation about your child's disability in real life. It sounds so simple. It might not be. Just start a conversation with your neighbor. Talk about their speech device. Talk about the, the bus that picks them up every day and goes to a different school or the therapy van or whatever. Talk about that. Share a photo story on your social media. If you haven't done it yet, I'm not talking about my child has autism if you're not there yet. 
but just share a photo and be like, this is something really unique that my daughter does. Start a conversation. Um, find one family like yours, just one. This took me a lot of years. I used that Coops Troops that I just showed you. That's how I met them. Start, find one family. And then find a topic you're passionate about. What is it? Is it ABA therapy? Is it special education? Like, what are you passionate about? Not saying you have to do anything yet, but just, just find what that would be. And keep talking. Just start a conversation. That's all that we ask. That's how we make a difference. It sounds very simple. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Thank you, Kate. That was really, really wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing all that information and the personal experiences. Yeah. Um, I just want to end off by posing a question, if that's okay, that's in the chat. Yeah. Um, you see it? What? You see the question in the chat? I can actually... I can oh. just say it out loud for everybody. Oh, yeah, I um, see there's it. somebody who's starting a, a device for their child. Um, and the question is really, how do you juggle all the different devices that you have around and pull it all together? That's, hi, Charlotte, that's a great question. So um, when we started with the speech device, which for anyone that follows me on Facebook, go, and if you don't, go take a peek, because I've been doing all my reels on Cooper using a speech device, and it's adorable. It's adorable. But when we started with that, um, it really was just at school and just at therapy. That's kind of how we started. Um, you know, that's how we started. And then I would have his speech device when we implemented it at home, I would have it right next to the snack cupboard or the fridge. So when I knew what he wanted, I knew he wanted goldfish. I mean, he brought them to me, but I would have him push the buttons. So I always started out really simply. Um, we've always made it very clear that his speech device is separate than his communicate than his fun iPad. They're, they're different. They're, you know, they're, they're two separate things. We put down the fun iPad when we're speaking. Um, it took years. It took time. And then, you know, for anyone that's new, we do use goalie, but his goalie, you know, sits by his bed. It sits different places in the house, so he doesn't carry that with him. It is a lot. Like, it, it is a lot. Um, and it just takes time to kind of settle into what works for your family. But our priority is always the speech device. Like, that is, like, that's his voice. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, yay. Looks like Kara is going to start advocating. Yay. You know, small communities is really, really where you make the biggest impact, I think. I mean, I'll tell you, I put this in my last presentation. You know, one thing that we do every year, every April, we have a Rip Your Float party in our driveway for Autism Awareness Month. And we invite our neighbors and the kids. And it is this really powerful thing where people feel comfortable asking questions. They're not, because they're there just for autism, right? We're gonna talk all about this. Ask about a speech device. Ask what to do if they see Cooper running down the street. Ask, ask, ask. And it is such a simple way, you know, by opening up our home and our life, um, people feel comfortable asking and talking. So it can be simple things like that. 
Um, there's so much advocacy needed for long-term care solutions for our kids. Oh, yes, 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 Charlotte, there are. So I think the biggest disparities right now is for adults with disabilities. There's, I don't think anyone would ever challenge me in saying that. There's just not much. If there is, they're underfunded. If there is, there are good people that work there, but sometimes the people aren't good. Um, there's the fear of parents sending their kids out. Cooper's 11 right now. I won't send him in the community with anyone yet. I'm, I'm not brave enough. I, I'm not. Cooper, I just can't imagine. And I think, remember how I talked about how, you know, when we start advocacy, it's really where that passion ignites us and where that fire is. I'm kind of living in my bubble right now. And I haven't thought about after 18. I think that's a defense mechanism. But there are some amazing people you can reach out to. Um, Jordan's Summer Shirt Project, kind of write that down. That's a page on Facebook. She started a business for her daughter. There's the Spotlight Project. Um, Rachel is a physical therapist who started a business for adults with disabilities to make bracelets. Livable wages, working. So there are things out there. Um, and then, you know, the housing scares me even more. I mm -mm, don't have it yet. So know that um, that is a, a future, a future thing of mine, but I am starting where I'm at, if that makes sense. Um, how do, how as a parent do we get out of our child's way to live their best life? We are used to anticipating every need. You know, Shelly, that's really interesting. And also, I like to, um, when I give presentations, I like to say things that I've, I've done wrong in the past. I remember thinking, and I'm going to be honest, so this is something that I was wrong. I remember thinking when Cooper was four and five, his life is hard. I don't want to make his life any harder. I'll just do it for him. I'll just put his shoes on for him and I'll get his snack and all his drink and I'll always communicate for him because I don't want, we don't do that for any of our kids. Our kids need to grow towards independence and they need to be gently pushed to do more things. So once I got into that mind shift, if you follow us, Cooper is thriving. He's making his own toast. He's dressing himself. His clothes may be backwards and inside out, but he is dressing himself. He puts his own shoes on. He tells us where he wants to go. We give him choices and push him to have a voice. And I don't, you know what was really powerful for me is I had a mom say to me, I always call them the old warhorse moms, and I say that with love because I'm now an old warhorse mom. I, um, she said to me, I'm going to be 70 years old and I don't want to be bending down and putting my kids shoes on or, you know, putting them in the shower if they're able to do it. And I remember her talking about all the steps they took to push their, her, her son towards independence. And I was like, that's amazing. I could never do it. That's amazing. I don't have the energy. That's a find it. Push. So um, I can't remember who said that. Um, uh, but what I started with is I made goals. So it was put shoes on, buckle seatbelt, um, walk in a parking lot, and just broke it down and work towards those goals. Start small. Start very small. But gently, gently push, and you'll see results. Um, should I keep answering, Adina? Um, if that works for you, that's, you know, just a few more. Definitely comments. helpful. 
my daughter is beginning kindergarten. How do we know when to speak up or not? Um, well, so, I mean, you know, one thing that I wish I would have done more of in kindergarten is talked with the teacher before about Cooper's, uh, about Cooper. Um, I remember thinking, I kind of felt like it was, like, and this is big in my book too. There's a lot about our kindergarten experience in here. So definitely grab this. Um, but I didn't advocate enough in the beginning. And, and advocacy doesn't have to be angry. Advocacy doesn't have to be, you know, aggressive. But I, I should have shared more. And I, I think I was just intimidated and scared and worried. But what one thing we do now is, you know, every day we do a communication sheet back and forth to and from school. What's going on? Did Cooper sleep? How's he feeling? Um, start, start there, you know, start developing a, you know, a really strong relationship with that teacher early on. They want it. I promise you, they want it with you. Um, do you have any advice for advocating in school? Our school denied an IEP saying they only see puffs of autism. Um, is it Shanna? Um, I would re reach out to an IEP advocate for that. That's not my wheelhouse, but um, if you search IEP advocate, there should be some, um, like my friend Amanda DeLuca does that. There's different ones and they can help you and assist you in that. Kirby Morgan, um, there are two ladies that I know that do IEP advocacy. They could probably help you. I can share that if you want to reach out to me. Do you have a medical diagnosis? Uh, I think that, okay, so that was to her. Um, yeah, that's a good point. Um, we do, Yeah. So what they're referring to is there's a difference between a medical diagnosis and an educational diagnosis. Again, learned that. That's in here. I didn't know that. So what that means is your child could have a medical diagnosis, but it doesn't communicate to the school if they don't see it educationally. Typically, they do. Typically, they do. They, your child does have both, but there are some cases where they don't. And what's hard is it means they don't have to necessarily line up. And that can be a confusing thing in the beginning. Yeah. Okay, Kate, thank you. Um, we do have a hard stop at 12, so I'm just going to wrap up. I just want to thank everybody for coming. Um, you should be receiving an email within the next, I would say, probably less than a week, but I just want to give us that time um, with a free replay because I want everybody to be able to listen again and really benefit from everything that Kate shared. Um, and Kate, I'll share that with you as well so that you have it, you can post that, you know, and use it as you want. Awesome. Um, if you wanna just troubleshoot again, if you missed the link before, I'm gonna send it out now. If you're interested um, in reaching out to us, we really believe that parents know their child best. Um, I believe that to be true. If a parent has an issue with something that's going on, it's because there is something that you're picking up on, right? That is not quite the way you want it to be. Um, so just reach out if it works for you. Um, and thank you again for joining us, Kate. Yeah, thank you, everyone. Be well. Bye.